Well, we've only got this session and next Sunday left on this series of um, talking about what happens after you die. And um, next Sunday, five o'clock, we're really going to finish on a high on this series because uh, we have invited our own Robert Sladen. I say our own Robert Sladen because uh, he's still very much part of the church here at Kensington Temple. And he is going to be with us next five o'clock service and also at the seven o'clock revival service next Sunday evening where we're going to have the theme of prophetic revival service. That's next seven o'clock. But we asked Roberts, and he's very kindly agreed to do it. He hasn't done it for a long while, he was telling me, actually, uh, to come and speak and give his testimony called, I Saw Heaven. He's going to talk a little bit about what happened to him when he was eight years old. We've got just a brief clip just to show you so that you sort of like give you a teaser of the sort of things he's going to be talking about next week. Thank you. I just come inside from playing a game of baseball with my friends to do the things we did every day in our home, our chores, our Bible reading. I wanted to finish all that up, get back outside to finish playing the game that I'd started. This day, God had something new for me. This day, I felt a supernatural pull come over my body and lift me out of my house and took me to heaven. I landed outside of one of the biggest gates I'd ever seen in my life at that time. I thought, what is this? And when I touched it, it was real. It was solid. It was a substance. It was real. And when I took my hand back, I heard these words. This is one of the gates. And there stood Jesus. He's about five foot 11, six foot feet tall. And the gate opened and we walked inside of heaven. And I can remember the golden street with the golden curb, with the flowers alongside the curb that hummed. Now, most people, when I tell that part of the story, they go, humming flowers, and they get a Walt Disney production of little flowers, little mouths that hum, but that's not what it was. Every few moments in heaven, there comes a wave of energy or life through all of heaven, and when that life comes through the flowers, it makes a light humming sound. And when I walked past them, I heard that humming sound come from the flowers. That was the beginning of my tour of heaven. When I was 17 years old, I wrote the vision uh, in a book called I Saw Heaven. It sold a million and a half copies in English. Every week we get phone calls from people that are saved or they've read it and they find comfort knowing where their family member has gone. I would love for you to take the time to order this book and sit down with your children and read the story of what I saw when I was in heaven. It is a great read and people love it and you'll be blessed by it. It's going to be fun, isn't it? How, how many people here um, have heard Roberts give his testimony on I Saw Heaven or read his book. Just wave at me. Okay, so a lot of you are in for a big treat. And um, I really encourage you, next five o'clock service, and I'm, I'm serious, bring someone that doesn't know the Lord. I mean, tell them, come and hear a man who visited heaven. It's a fascinating testimony of the experience that he had. So, you know, bring people that don't know the Lord and it's five o'clock, and, and it's amazing because when he speaks about this testimony, the anointing is very powerful because he's had that experience of heaven. And I'm going to be speaking on heaven today, but I think it's wonderful that Roberts will be with us next week because he's going to bring illustration and experience to the teaching that you've heard. Now, some people might say, well, 
That's weird, somebody going to heaven. Well, Paul had heavenly experiences. He said he was caught up into the heavenlies. Sometimes God gives people um, heavenly and supernatural experiences as a testimony. Now, God's Word is God's Word, and everything has to be tried and tested according to God's Word. But that doesn't mean that God can't give people experiences that can illustrate and bring color and, uh, to, to the things that we are teaching. So next 5 o'clock service is going to be very special. Get here on time. You do anyway, most of you, but get here on time, because I, I want to have Roberts up by quarter past so that we can really, so, you know, don't, you know, get here on time next week. And those that are joining us on the internet right now, welcome to you. Those watching this later on in the week, if you're able to come to the five o'clock service next Sunday, get here for uh, five o'clock on the dot, because we'll be putting Roberts on as soon as possible so that we can just give him time to tell us about his heavenly experience. Well, Roberts is going to speak about that experience that he had next week, but today I'm going to be doing the last in my teaching on the series that we've been looking at, Beyond Death. And I believe that this is a very important series that we've been, we've been studying over the last few weeks, because so many people talk or act as if this life on earth is all that there is. Even amongst Christians who believe that they're going to go to heaven when they die, they still live very often as if there's no heaven after they die. Like, this is all we've got, and then, oh, well, at le least when I die, I'll go to heaven. Many Christians' attitude is sort of like, I want to be on earth as long as possible. I want to get everything I can from this earth as much as I can, and, and, and I, don't, I don't want to go, you know, Lord, keep me here as long as possible. I don't want to go to heaven till the last moment possible. But, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't think like that. In the latter part of his ministry, he would say things like this, you know, it's far better for me to go and be with the Lord, but it's better for you and the church that I stay. So I'm in a difficulty, Paul said, because you need me, but I personally, I want to go and be with the Lord. Uh, he said that absent from the body for a Christian is to be present with the Lord. And so we should, and we've looked at this in former sessions, we should be living our life on earth in the light of heavenly realities. That's why I'm looking forward to next week, because you're going to have a glimpse. And we only prophesy in part, do you understand that? And Roberts will have only have had a, a partial experience of, of the fullness of what heavenly will build. He'll have a, he's had a foretaste, a taste of it. But we should live our lives knowing that our life on, on the earth, God says that our life is like dew. It's there in the morning, but by noon it's gone. That all flesh is as grass. And that which we hold on to on this earth as if it's so permanent and so, you know, th this is all, it's not permanent. Everything you see, everything you, that's around you in this earth and this universe is not permanent, it's temporary. And one day the whole universe is going to be rolled up and God's going to start all over again with the new heavens and a new earth. But heaven, the reality of where we go when we die, you know, this is what the gospel is all about. R.T. Kendall, as I've shared with many of you before, did a tract, and they used to go out in Westminster Chapel every Saturday preaching the gospel, and he devised a tract 
of the gospel. And in that, he spoke about the fact that Christianity, the message of the gospel, is essentially about what happens when you die. And the publishers asked him to correct it. They said, you surely you've made a mistake, Artie. The gospel's far more than what happens after you die. I mean, it's all about what happens here on earth. And he says, you're you're so wrong. You're so wrong. Ultimately, the gospel is about what happens when we die. And we know that Jesus, when he was leaving his disciples in John's gospel, he said to them, he said, look, I've got to go. And they said, where are you going to go? He said, I've got to go because I'm going to my father, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you, for in my father's house there are many mansions. And so Jesus went ahead of us into heaven to prepare the place for us. And so when we come to study about heaven and what the Bible teaches us about it, it reminds us that the main purpose of the gospel is to prepare us for heaven. It's a reminder, as Philippians 3 verse 20 tells us, that this world is not our home. Don't get too comfy here on earth. Seriously, don't don't get too comfortable here on earth because your citizenship, according to Philippians 3.20, is in heaven. We believe in the kingdom of heaven. And we need to get the kingdom of heaven flowing in our lives on earth because we can have the influence of heavenly realities in our lives here on earth. So don't get addicted to this world. You know, when we face difficulties in our lives or sickness or in our family or friends, severe sickness or even death, I was privileged to officiate at a, a funeral on Friday. Beverly was there with me. And the funeral that I was involved with before that funeral was, was a funeral that was full of non-Christians. And I felt very constrained because there was only so much that I could say to the unbelievers. And in that, in that service for unbelievers, it was a family situation. There wasn't much hope because people didn't believe in an afterlife. And so the best that they could do at that funeral was celebrate the past. Talk about what the person meant to them, talk about their experiences, give testimony of of the past, and and that was all well and good. And, And we did that at the believer's funeral on Friday. But that's all that they could do. But when we took this funeral on Friday, I started the funeral. When the coffin came to the front, the first words I said were, was, she's in a better place now than we are today. Right from that moment. And I said to them, these aren't just comforting words, these are real words. When Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, he wasn't just saying something nice, he meant it. In fact, you know, at some funerals, when people say, when you read that passage, I go before you to prepare a place for you, you can see in some people's minds, oh, I wish it was true. It's a nice thought. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thought to think that there is a heaven? And Jesus knows what we're like because he said, I go ahead to prepare a place for you. And then he pauses and says, if it were not so, I would not have told you. We can be sure that there is a heaven for those that believe. Also, the preaching and teaching on heaven is is to 
give us an appetite for, for the time to come. Death is a door. In the first session that I taught in this series, and remember, you can catch up on the series link in our media page of all these sessions if you so desire. When I spoke about the fact of the immortal spirit, that your spirit is immortal, what does it mean? It means it will never cease to exist. Your body is what? Mortal at the moment. That's why when you die, if your body's put in the grave, it's mortal, it will decompose. Your body dies. It's mortal. But your spirit, from the moment you were, you were created, your spirit is immortal. So what happens when you die? The moment that you die, you don't lose consciousness. You don't enter into some sort of soul sleep. The moment you die, death is literally the separation of your immortal spirit from your mortal body. I've said that, if, in fact, when people are dying of, of a terrible sickness, maybe it's affected their mind. Well, the moment of death, their mind and their spirit, if you like, is totally lucid, totally aware, because death is the separation from the spirit, from the body, from the spirit. And the day of resurrection is so important because one day, those that are in heaven, the believers that are in heaven, their spirits, on the day of resurrection, when Jesus returns, will be reunited with their bodies. And those bodies, Paul says in Corinthians, were sown corruptible. But the same body, the remnant of the body that was sown corruptible, will be raised incorruptible, immortal. Your body will last forever then, as your spirit will last forever. And also, the important thing about heaven is to remember that in the end, God is going to bring everything to justice. And for, for many believers that have struggled, many believers who felt that they've, they've undergone great persecution in their lives or great difficulties, maybe, maybe you here today, yourself, or you know of other people that are Christians, and you just sort of think, do you know what? They've had the raw end of things all their lives. Have you ever noticed some people seem to breeze through life? They're, they're born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They have all the giftings. They have the, they have the finances. They get the... And everything just goes well for them. And yet others are always struggling. They come from bad backgrounds. They barely make it through. They don't have the giftings. They suffer from sickness. And you look and you think, do you know what? It seems so unfair. Well, do you know what? It's all going to be sorted out when heaven comes. I mean, I think of how important heaven was in the singing and the understanding of the black slaves, especially in the United States of America. Because if you know anything of slavery in America, and, and well, all the way in the world, but, but there in America, I mean, their lives was a living hell. I mean, a living hell. And many of those slaves in the 1700s and 1800s had absolutely nothing on this earth to enjoy or look forward to. Nothing. They'd have their children taken away and sold into slavery. Sometimes the slave owners would separate uh, wife and husband and send them to... I mean, it was a literal hell on earth. But do you know what? They were always believing God for the day when they crossed what they called the River Jordan into the Promised Land. And what they meant by the Promised Land was heaven. So you've, you have Christians in history 
that have suffered, that have, that have had a terrible time on earth. And the only thing that keeps them going is the knowledge that one day they're going to be in heaven. But it's hard for a Western type of Christianity that is extremely materialistic and now focused to even think about heaven. Uh, we want everything out of earth that we can get, and we want it now. And so a carnal church thinks little of heaven because a carnal church is too focused on earth. Now, let's talk a little bit about heaven. And I'm going to give you some ABCs here, not assume that you know anything. What won't be in heaven? When we go to heaven, how different will it be from earth? Well, the first thing I want to say, and we see this in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, is Satan won't be in heaven. You might say, that's a bit obvious. I know. But let's think it through a little bit. There, there will be no Satan in heaven, and there will be no sin in heaven. So there will be no accusations, no temptations, no oppression, no opposition. Heaven will be a place of freedom and liberty from all demonic oppression. Now, that's hard for us to appreciate because you have never known life without the presence of demonic activity in this world. You, you, you can't imagine what it would be like. And this is why when we teach about heaven, we have to step out of our present experience. The same with sin. There'll be no sin in heaven. Or there is no sin in heaven, correction. No Satan, no sin. That means the negativity that's in this world and has been from the fall of man, there is no negativity in heaven. No opposition in heaven. You'll hear Roberts next week, don't want to steal his thunder, but he talks about the fact that when he's in heaven, there's absolutely no spiritual resistance at all in any way, shape, or form. There's no doubt. There's no fear. There's no oppression. There's no temptation. Heaven is a place of total spiritual freedom. So Satan won't be there, no demonic power, no sin. Again, you don't know what it's like to live free from sin. You don't know. You were born a sinner because you're in a fallen world. This whole world is fallen and broken. And the presence of sin, although God the Holy Spirit can give us great deliverances from it, is on the earth. But in heaven there'll be no presence of Satan, no presence of sin. Also in heaven, there'll be absolutely no sorrow at all. Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. So think about that. No more sorrow no more crying, no more fear, no more pain. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that means no more physical pain. We'll not have physical pain anymore because we'll have perfect bodies when we're raised from the dead. Sin, and the, which is the fall of Adam and original sin, which is the cause of disease and pain, will be removed. 
There'll be no illness in heaven. There'll be no disabled or blind or deaf people in heaven. You say, that's not very politically correct. No, I don't mean, I don't mean the deaf blind on earth, but when they die, they will be healed. This is a great source of comfort for me when I think about my own mentally disabled daughter. I wanted to stay longer on earth than I'm here on earth, but I always think to myself, sometimes I sit back and I think about her and I look at her and uh, the few words she, she can speak, etc., etc. And I do, I think, do you know what? It's going to be great, Charlotte, when we're eventually in heaven. It's going to be great because all of the difficulties that she's experiencing on earth, physically and mentally, well, when she goes to heaven, she's going to be perfect in every way. And so I'm excited because I know, despite the trials that she and we as a family may face on earth, one day I'm going to know her and there'll be no disability in her at all in any way. It's going to be amazing to know my daughter like that. And so when you see people that are suffering physically or perhaps you've had a loved one and perhaps your last memory of someone very dear to you was that they were very old and frail, or perhaps in a hospital bed, or perhaps not at their best. You're normally not at your best, are you? <laughs> Just before you die. And that's your last memory of them. But you know, if they're believers, the moment they died, they entered into bliss, perfection. They'll never know sorrow again. They'll never need to be healed. This is why I said at that funeral on Friday, that the lady who died has said, she is in a better place right now than we are today. Now that takes faith. And I've noticed that with Christians, when you talk, when they face death, that's where you know how deep they are with the Lord. How deep your faith is, is can be tested usually by a death that takes place or a sickness that takes place. And often when death takes place, you see, you can see in the responses of people, how much they hold to the earth or how much they are really holding to heaven. And we noticed on Friday that although there was a great sorrow, because when someone dies, you mourn your loss when they're Christians. It's your, it's, it, it is distressing. It is sad to lose someone. We know that. Jesus wept over Lazarus and he was going to raise him from the dead in a few moments' time. It is distressing, but we're not distressed about them. Oh, I'm so sad for the person. She died. He died. Oh, poor them. What do you mean, poor them? If they're believers, it's better. They're with the Lord. They're in glory. How earthly we can be. How earthly we can be in our thinking. Now, heaven is a real place. Revelation 21 talks about the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Heaven is pictured as a heavenly Jerusalem. When you read the book of Hebrews, uh, and parts of Galatians and Revelations, you have a picture that heaven is a heavenly Zion. There's a heavenly Jerusalem. Do you know that? As well as an earthly Jerusalem. And we're all praying at the moment for the peace of Jerusalem. But in the heavenly Jerusalem, 
the Jerusalem that is in heaven, there's perfect peace. You heard Robert speak in that short clip about coming to one of the gates of heaven. And he'll talk a little bit more about that. You heard him talk about the streets of gold that Revelation speaks about. And in Revelation, we have a description of heaven. Heaven is a heavenly city. Do you know that? It's the city of heaven. And one day, that city of heaven is going to come down and make its place here on earth. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be amazing. So heaven is a, a place, a holy city. It's the new Jerusalem. And it's the place where God will dwell with us and we will be with God. Jesus will be there. We'll be able to see him. Paul says, it's better that I go because I will be with the Lord. Not only that, but we will also see other people and recognize people from the past. We will see all the saints from old. Not just those that we knew that went to be with the Lord before we died, but Moses will be there, Elijah will be there, all the great evangelists will be there. There is recognition in heaven. So when we go to heaven, you will be able to recognize one another. We see that clearly in Scripture. Not only that, the relationships will be entirely spiritual. Do you remember when the uh, Pharisees and Sadducees were speaking to Jesus and they tried to trick him and said, well, you know, if uh, a woman marries a man and they die and marries his brother and his brother, and she has five, marries five different people and they all die, which one will be her husband in heaven? And Jesus gives us a picture of heaven and he says, you know, it's not like that in heaven. You're projecting your earthly understanding and thinking that, that, that what you have on earth is simply going to be reproduced in heaven. And Jesus said... But actually, in heaven, we are like the angels of God. And so you may love your wife very much. I hope you do if you're married. Or you may love your husband very much. And you might think, oh, well, we'll still be married in heaven. No, you won't. And I've known people think, oh, I'm actually a bit sad about that. As if it meant that, oh, I'm very close to my wife now on earth. But isn't it a shame in heaven we won't be close? Because we'll be like the angels of God. We won't be married. You see, you're thinking earthly. You're thinking in an earthly way. It's going to be totally different. The relationships will be spirit, more spiritual. They will be deeper. It's going to be incredible when we, when we get there. We're going to have new bodies eventually, as I've said. We're going to have new minds. And God's going to be with us. Also, when we get to heaven, we're going to understand everything that's ever taken place on the earth. We'll be able to reflect on it because we only see in part on the earth. Do you know that? Thank God we have the Bible because that gives us clarity of view. But even our understanding of the Bible is imperfect, isn't it? No, no, not even the best Bible teacher in the world can fully understand the Word of God. But when we're in heaven, we will have total revelation, total revelation about what takes place in heaven. And in fact, I remember, I think it might have been Jesse Duplantis, who also had a heavenly um, experience. He said that knowledge in heaven comes by revelation. 
that you just instantly have understanding of the things that you need to understand. You know, that's how revelation comes. Revelation knowledge comes spiritually into our lives. It's like when you're reading the Bible and something just leaps out and hits your spirit. Or you just get this revelation. You just see things for the first time. And I'm going to be speaking again tonight on the book of Ezra, on the, uh, the theme of restoration and God's restoration move. And I've studied Ezra since I was 17 years old doing A-levels. But it wasn't until the Friday night of the conference when I was going to bed and God just said, just listen to the book of Ezra on your iPhone. And I did. And as I listened to it, it was like I was hearing a book for the first time. Things and truths were just popping out of the book as I was listening to it, understanding I didn't have to work hard on studying. It was just flying into my spirit. It was just, it was just coming and dropping into my spirit. Well, that's how knowledge and truth works in heaven. It works by revelation. It works by instant knowledge in your spirit. It's spiritual knowledge that will, um, that, that will touch us. Also, we'll find that in heaven, there is no more night, Revelation 22, verse 5. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. There'll be no more night. There'll be no shadow in heaven. The brilliance of the glory of God will occupy every particle of space, removing any possibility of any shadow. Another thing I want to say about heaven is that sometimes when people portray heaven, it's like, well, you're sort of like if you go into some of the Roman Catholic churches and things, you, you have these little baby cherubim with sort of like wings on and clouds and, and people sort of like, you know, heaven sort of seems to be very, ooh, sort of like strange and, you know, hard to grasp. And this is what I like about Robert's testimony next week. It's very down to earth. It, it, it's a, it, it can be touched, if you like. It can be experienced. And we're going to find that God has work for us to do in heaven. Now, when you die, you go directly to heaven. But as I taught last week, don't forget that the believers that are with heaven right now, one day they're going to return to the earth on the day of resurrection. Do you remember that? And those that are alive will be caught up with them in the rapture and greet the Lord as he comes to earth. And then we're going to rule and reign for a thousand years with Jesus on the earth told about that last week. So those that go to heaven are going to come back to earth because we're going to rule with Jesus over earth and the earth is going to be as it was meant to be ruled over, as it was meant to be experienced. And at the end of that time, God will have his final judgment of all those that don't believe and then he is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. Now, that, that is going to be amazing because when Revelation speaks about the new heavens and the new earth, it's hardly, we, we can hardly even begin to imagine what a new heaven and a new earth is going to be. It's going to be a totally new realm of existence. I mean, we talk about different dimensions 
of time on the earth, of space. But I wonder how many dimensions the new heavens and the new earth is going to be. It's going to be totally a new thing. And there's going to be work for us. There's going to be purpose for us. We're not, just, we're not going to be floating around on clouds playing harps. God is the God of purpose. And sometimes heaven is sort of like portrayed like some sort of Butlin's camp. Well, maybe that's hell, I can't remember. <laughs> heaven is portrayed as some sort of like a holiday camp because we speak about entering into your, into your rest. That when we go to heaven, we're just going to sort of like relax, eat peeled grapes. The angels will be peeling the grapes for us. We're just going to take it, and we're just going to do nothing. Maybe we'll, we'll go up and worship the Lord for a while, but we're just going to sort of like relax. But God's not like that. God is a God of purpose. And part of how he created humankind was to have purpose and destiny. And so heaven and everything that comes after death for the believer is going to have purpose. You're going to have jobs to do. God's going to have uh, things for us to do together. And so remember this, heaven will be a place of purpose. We won't just be sitting around having a bank holiday all the time. Some of you work on bank holidays, I know. But there'll, there'll be something for you to do when, when you go to heaven. Now I'm going to stop for a moment. If I can have the microphone. I'm going to take some questions right now, so you, you, if you go down. I'm going to take some questions, and you can, you can ask me questions about heaven, what the Bible teaches about heaven, or you can ask me any questions that you want on the theme that we've been talking about beyond death. No question is too simple uh, or too hard. I might not be able to answer it. It might be too hard, but this is your opportunity now to ask me questions on this theme, so let's have the first one. With the Catholic Church, they, they teach that there is purgatory. What are, your, what are the true beliefs? Okay, thank you. The Roman Catholic doctrinal teaching is not only, that's a very good question, not only is there a heaven and a hell, but there's also a place in between called purgatory, all right? And the doctrine is some people go to heaven, some people go to hell, but some people aren't bad enough to go to hell, but neither are they good enough to go to heaven. So they go to a place called purgatory for a season where they are to be purified, to be brought to the place where they are holy enough for heaven. The purgatory doctrine actually comes from the teaching in Roman Catholicism that you are saved by baptism. Now, not all Catholics believe this. I'm talking about Roman Catholic doctrine, all right, which is often very different to what your average Roman Catholic believes. And Roman Catholic teaching is this, is that when a baby is born, when that baby is christened or baptized, at that moment they are born again. Okay? You are born again by the act of baptism. It's like that baptism magically causes the baby to be born again, all right? Now, what happens to a baby that's not baptized, according to Roman Catholic teaching? Well, if they're not baptized, they're not born again. Because baptism causes you to be born again in Roman Catholic teaching. And that's why, historically, you, you find in Roman Catholic circles that often if a baby is very ill, 
in hospital and it doesn't like look the baby's going to make it, some of you nodding your head, they'll bring the priest in to baptize the baby right there and then. Why? In order that it goes straight to heaven. Because the Catholic teaching is baptism makes you born again. But what happens to the babies that don't get born again? Well, they can't go to heaven according to Catholic doctrine, so they devised another place similar to purgatory called limbo. Okay? We're not talking about that dance, the limbo, going under thing. <laughs> Have you ever heard the phrase, how's so-and-so doing? Oh, he's in limbo right now. He's neither here nor there. So limbo is the Roman Catholic baby's version of purgatory where they stay for a while until God sorts it out and brings them to heaven. That's why in purgatory, um, you can actually say prayers for the dead. The priest can do masses for the dead. Sometimes when people die in the Roman Catholic Church, they will give a legacy where every year or every time a priest will say a number of masses on behalf of that dead person. Why? Believing that the mass will bring grace to help them get out of purgatory quicker. This is what the Reformation was all about. You could buy indulgences for money that would forgive sins, which would mean you'd spend less time in purgatory. So purgatory is the false doctrine of a place that's neither heaven and hell. Purgatory really is, is a doctrine of works. Because we know the only reason any of us can go into heaven is because Jesus died on the cross. He did the work to get us into heaven, and we receive heaven as a gift through faith alone. Next question. Pastor Bruce, I need help. Uh, <clears throat> my mom was in uh, my family in Ghana, were Christians. But the enemy put his image on their pictures I had here and he killed them. When he killed them, he would take their spirit. And I'm praying for them, but he doesn't, Satan does not want me to call Jesus or uh, plead the blood against him. Anytime I call, I mention the blood or Jesus' name, he is tormenting them and he doesn't want them to are you, are come you, out of Are these saved family members? Yes, they were Christians taking communion. Okay, well, what, if, if, what you're saying is that there's some sort of demonic oppression against them, and, 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 if, and what you need to do is, number one, they need to realize who they are in Christ, and that they could, a lot, a lot of witchcraft works in the Christian world, number one, out of ignorance, the Christian's ignorance, and number two, out of a Christian's fear. So I've found that people that are affected by demonic oppression, number one, they don't know who they are in Christ, even though they are in Christ. And number two, they've been brought up in a culture where witches or witch doctors are seen to have so much power that they assume that they have power over them. The devil can only control you if you fear him. But with the absence of fear, if you have faith, the devil, the devil can't do these things to you. So my advice to you is that they need to get some faith teaching in them, and, and pleading the blood can often be, um, I found people that plead the blood, and I just say, stop pleading the blood, because you're turning it almost into like a magical form, I'm pleading the blood, oh, I'm pleading the blood, I'm pleading, well, you look frightened to me, the blood's already pleaded, you're not guilty, you're in Christ, you have victory over the devil, what you have to do is stand up, and you have to take a confession, and stand on your confession, say, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, devil. And, and, and you don't take no for an answer. You don't take no for an answer. So that, that's, that's what... But they're all going... If they're, if they're believers, despite these things, they will still go to heaven. Next question. 
Hi. Um, what I found particularly interesting is that a lot of people have different takes on uh, uh, on the pre-tribulation chapter and um, rupture in the um, post-tribulation um, rupture. What do you believe in personally? And do you believe that before that happens, that um, Jerusalem needs, needs to be demolished, needs to suffer first? Um, do you believe in the pre-tribulation um, rupture? Do you think that Jesus will um, descend with his angels before the big judgment is about to be bestowed upon the earth or okay. rather the reverse? Uh, okay. Well, the first thing to say when you're talking about Jerusalem is one thing we are clear from, from Romans chapter 9 through to chapter 11, that the last great revival on earth before Jesus' return will be amongst the nation of Israel. God will bring the Jews as a nation to him. You see, when you look at the Old Testament, I haven't got time to go into it today, but when you look at the Old Testament, you find two restorations. The first restoration is Israel to its land. To its land, not its God, to its land. That's the first res restoration. The second restoration will be the last great revival in the end times when God restores the nation. All Israel will be saved, Paul says, to its God. The other question was, there is a view about the rapture. And what is the rapture? We looked at that in 1 Thessalonians 4. It's when the church, in a twinkling of eye, and there's a blowing of a trumpet, the church is caught up. That's what rapture means. It's from the Latin Bible. Caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Now, there's basically two views about when this takes place, basically. The first view, very popular amongst charismatics today, is this. Is that Jesus will come twice. First, secretly to rapture the church. And Jesus will secretly rapture the church. You ever read, anybody heard of Left Behind? The Left Behind series, believes, series of books believes this position. That all of a sudden we'll be here. And suddenly all those that believe will suddenly disappear. Jesus has raptured them. It's a secret rapture. They go to be with him in heaven, often for a period of seven years, people say. God will then work amongst the Jews. Then after that period, that raptured church will return with Jesus to the earth. That, that is called pre tribulation rapture, saying that the church will go up secretly before all the tribulation takes place. When it's all done and dusted and Israel is saved, the church will come down again. The second view, which is the view that myself and Colin holds, and both views are held by godly people and churches, the second view is this, is that, this, is that Jesus comes once, once, because every time we hear about the coming of Jesus, it is public. I mean, even 1 Thessalonians 4, it's with a trumpet and a shout. That's no secret rapture. And so whenever you see the second coming of the Lord in Scripture, it's a public coming. And the, the, the position is this, that when Jesus returns with his holy angels, the angels of fire, and he comes to earth, that the dead in Christ will be raised first, the trumpet will sound, the angel will shout, and the church will be raptured to greet him. The word is greet in 1 Thessalonians, to greet him in the, in, 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 in the, uh, in the um, air and then return with him. And this comes, this word greet is, 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 is very familiar because in ancient times when a king visited your city, you wouldn't just wait for him to come through the doors. You would send out a group to greet him and accompany him into the city. So, for example, if the Pope, just use him for example, if the Pope came to visit uh, the Queen, 
The Queen wouldn't sit by herself in Buckingham Palace and wait till he arrived. As soon as the Pope's um, airplane landed in Gatwick, there would be a reception committee, wouldn't there? To greet him and escort him in. And that's the word used in 1 Thessalonians 4. So although there's different views on these, and if your view is different to me, it's all right for you to have a wrong view. (laughs) There are are different views on this, okay? And so I don't want you to think that uh, if you have a different view from me that, you know, okay, we'll have to have a church split or anything. So there's views. My view is that the second coming and the rapture is the same event. Next question, not on the rapture, please. No. Um, we, will do, I, I, we will do end times in, in, as a series um, in the five o'clock next year. Sorry. Sorry, I understand, Bruce, that, you know, yes, we go up to be with Jesus when we die, and, and he's, and we, you know, up to, up to that place where we, he, he reigns on the earth, we reign with him. Um, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, where we, he deals with rewards and things, at what stage in this do we stand before... The judgment seat of Christ, do you think? That's right. There are two judgments we see um, after death. There is is what we call, and I taught on this a few weeks ago, the Bema seat. The Bema seat, which is the judgment seat of Christ for believers. That's the one. The second judgment takes place right at the end. It's the judgment of the great white throne, right at the end of Revelation. That final judgment is not for believers, it's for those that don't believe, who will be judged according to their works because they chose not the gospel. Okay, so that's the judgment of the damned. But the Bema seat, or the judgment seat of Christ, it depends what you believe about the rapture. Um, If you believe that the rapture takes place before the tribulation and the church gets secretly taken up, then usually that's the time where Jesus will hand out his rewards, where he will judge not whether we're saved or not, we're already saved, but he'll hand out the laurels, the rewards, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and those that that didn't do so well. We, We looked at rewards earlier on in this series, and it'll take place then. If you believe that Jesus, uh, and the, when Jesus returns publicly to the world and the rapture takes place at the same time, many people believe that it will, it will take place at that time. But it's not quite clear. Sometimes when we look at these things, it's hard to tell where it, where it fits. Good, good question. Another question. We'll take a couple more. Yes, Jack D. Uh, just wondering, Bruce, what the Bible teaches on those people who genuinely have never heard the gospel so they haven't had a chance to reject it or accept it, whether people, groups, and, and babies and things like that. So I'm just wondering, you know. Yeah, that's a very good question. What happens to people that have never heard the gospel? Well, the first thing that we have to say is that the gospel is the only way that you can know you can be saved. Uh, however, having said that, what do we find in the Bible that speaks about those that never heard? And there's different positions on these. And some people said, well, if people never heard, then they won't get saved. But one of the things you can do is to have a look at Romans, which speaks about the Jew who's heard the law and the Gentiles that's not ever heard the law. And in that section, it talks about the Gentile that's never heard the Ten Commandments. But because they're made in the image of God, although it's a broken image now, it says that they have a conscience. And that conscience, although not perfect, still retains in it the image of God so that there's enough of the image of God in them to either approve or disapprove of the things that they are doing. And that's true, isn't it? 
You know, one of the things that atheists find very difficult is they don't believe in God, therefore there is no right or wrong. And yet you find that atheists can be very moral people, a very strong sense of good and evil. Yet they can't square that with the fact that if there's no God, there is no ultimate good or evil. You make it up as you go along. Well, the reason they have a sense of justice or right or wrong is because they're made in God's image. Now, that conscience can be seared. You know when you, when you burn your, your, your hand, the bit that's burned loses its feeling? So the more that somebody yields to sin, the more seared or lack of feeling they will have. So that's why you get somebody, you know, who thinks that they can watch, you know, get by Playboy every month when they're like 12 or 13 and think nothing's going to happen, and then 10, 15 years later they're in prison for rape. Because what happened is the more that they got involved in pornography, the harder and harder they got, and the more they got, and it's like a downward, downward cycle. So the Bible doesn't actually tell us exactly what will happen to those that, that never heard. It says they'll be judged in a different way. It'll, it'll be easier on the day of judgment for Sodom and, the, and Gomorrah than it will be for Capernaum, who saw Jesus and everything. So with great revelation comes great judgment. And so some Christians believe, well, if you've, if you've not heard the gospel, too bad. God doesn't, doesn't owe you anything except justice. Others believe, well, the Bible doesn't clearly say that people that don't hear the gospel will not be saved, but in the end, God's going to be fair and just. So no, that's not an answer, because it's not clear. But one thing we do know, I mean, I've heard people say, well, maybe we shouldn't preach the gospel to people, because if they reject it, they'll be in a worse position than before. And when someone says that, you know they've missed the boat. So it's not a very good answer, Shakti, but pause for thought. Last question. Um, hello, yes, you, you know you were saying that there's going to be a new heaven, because I understand about the earth, yeah. but when you said a new heaven, um, I'm not too clear, because does that mean there's not going to be a heaven up there, or what will happen to the existing heaven? Well, heaven's going to come down in the sense the new Jerusalem will come down to earth, but I'm talking about right at the end of the book of Revelations, it says that right at the end, when it's all done and dusted, God is going to outdo himself. He, he's not going to take the old universe and just keep it running. He's going to do something spectacular. He is going to create a whole new heaven and earth. Now, when we use the word heaven, we have to say, well, what do we mean by heaven? Because heaven can mean three things. Heaven can mean the place where Jesus is right now and we go when we die, when we're believers. Heavenlies can mean the heavenlies you know, and the stars and everything like that. Or the heavenly realm can mean where the spiritual realm is, where the angels fight, you know, the, the enemy and everything. So heaven can mean three things. The place where God is right now, the physical heavens. And when God says he's going to create a new heavens and a new earth, what he means by that is he's going to create a brand new universe at the end of all things. It's going to be brand new. All right. Well, we should, probably should spend more time having questions and scratching where you're itching, and maybe we'll try and do that more in some of the teaching services that seem to work quite well. But Gabriel's going to come now as we, we, we finish the last part of our service.